Well, why don't you grab your Bibles out? The good news is there's still time for a sermon. A sermonette, just to make it official. We're going to go to Luke's Gospel. I want to reflect for a few moments on the Christmas story or an aspect of it and speak to us on this topic, gift and gratitude. Gift and gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for those testimonies we've seen, for others that we weren't able to share and others that perhaps uh, we don't even know about. But Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is alive and at work in the lives and hearts of your people. And I pray, Lord, this would be a moment both of giving thanks for what you have done, but of allowing that sense of excitement and expectancy as we ponder upon this gracious and good God who is at work, that we might step into a new year with a profound sense of praise, thankfulness and expectancy at all that you desire to do as the coming years and seasons unfold. Just pray this morning as we read from your scripture, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, encourage us, awaken that fresh song of thankfulness and praise and an excitement at who you are. For the glory of your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, the shepherds and the angels. Let's read this portion of scripture and reflect for a few moments. And then we will release, be released into some fellowship and a time together. It says this, talking of course of the birth of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly, with the angel, there was the multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from there into heaven. The shepherds said, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured these things, pondering upon them in her heart. But verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen, just as it had been told them glorifying God for all that they'd heard and seen. I want to talk this morning about gift and gratitude. You know, there is a power in gratitude and in thanksgiving. We see in this account here two intriguing groups of people, or two accounts. We see, first of all, the shepherds, a group of shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. Now, we probably miss in our modern setting a little bit of the shock value of finding shepherds recounted or included in the Christmas story. See, shepherds were not high in the pecking order. These were people who were, by nature of their profession, unclean. They weren't outcasts, but they were certainly 
ostracized. They were kept at a distance. Nobody necessarily aspired to be a shepherd. We think perhaps romantically of David in the field minding the sheep. You know, that wasn't, I would suggest, his first choice of profession. He was the runt of the litter. He got given the job that none of his brothers desired to take. And he was out in the midst of the sheep with all that went on looking after them. And yet God found him in that particular place. So we have the shepherds. And then in the midst of this account of the shepherds watching their flock, we have an angel, the angel of the Lord appear. Now we've had angels before in the Christmas story. This is not the first time an angel appears. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth All of these recount angels appearing to direct and instruct God's people as he orchestrates this incredible account of the birth of Christ. God is in control. And one angel is significant. I mean, who would, as the shepherds were, be a little startled if an angel of the Lord appeared? That's why the angel says, don't fear, it's okay. All of us would. Angels are significant. In 2 Kings 19, we read, one angel alone took out 185,000 Assyrian warriors. Angels are not to be messed around with, but not only do we see one angel of the Lord appearing, we see in this account one of the most dramatic moments of heaven opening wide, of the entire host of heaven appearing en masse to these shepherds to proclaim the glories of God. You see, I think as we read this, we perhaps miss the significance and the wonder. I would love to have been a part of that heavenly room discussion. I'm sure the angels knew what was going on. An angel had been sent here and there, as I said, to orchestrate the details. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, well, now we're going en masse. A host of heaven is entering in to time and space to appear. Well, what's, what's the mission, Lord? What's happening? Well, we're going to go and surprise some shepherds. We're going to turn up just as they watch their sheep upon the mountain at night. And all of a sudden, these shepherds witness something almost unparalleled in Scripture. The host or the multitude, it says, of the heavenly hosts. The sky is filled with this glorious proclamation of God as they witness this incredible sight. So we should ask this question, what was going on in this particular account? God sovereignly chooses this group of people, not perhaps who we would choose in the natural, for this one particular purpose, that he might display his glory, that he might offer A gift, no strings attached, no small print, no conditions, not if you can earn it or because you've earned it, just because he is God and he comes to invite them into the greatness of his story. Come and see, come and behold what it is that I am doing. You see, there is this picture in the birth of Christ that perhaps this story illustrates better than any other this reality of gift and gratitude. The great gift of God, the great giver who gave the greatest gift 
that could ever be given. Sends the the host of heaven to the shepherds just to make sure they don't miss out on the reality of this. And as they come, undeserved, to look into this great gift, it says they leave glorifying and praising God. I would suggest to you and I that that is the same invitation, that is the same urgent need, not only as we look into the Christmas story, but as we reflect upon the gospel, the very heart of the proclamation of the good news could be summarized in this way, gift and gratitude. We get the gift, the gift of his grace and mercy, and in response we come and proclaim and live with thankfulness. We could summarize the Christian life in this way. It is a picture of these two realities of gift and of gratitude. It goes to the heart of the story. That's why Paul goes on 1 Thessalonians 5.18, 1718. He says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, he also says, Thanks always be to God who leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Hebrews 12.28, it's all the way through, Old and New Testament. He says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be... Who knows? Wasn't a trick question. Let us be thankful... See, thankfulness is the language of the redeemed. All of Christian life should be lived between those two pillars or resting upon that recognition of his great gift. The great giver of the greatest gift is redemption, his blood, his sacrifice. And it should be lived in gratitude. As Paul says, in the midst of all circumstances, we have such a profound reason to be thankful. See, thankfulness is the center and the posture of how the redeemed life needs to be lived. To live with wide-eyed wonder. And very quickly, here's three realities, not a long sermon. Let me illustrate them. Number one, gratitude ensures that we remember It ensures that we remember. It keeps us in that place of remembrance. How many have realized yet that we are prone to forget? We're prone to forget. It says in Scripture, forget not all his benefits. Why does it say that? Because there is a tendency in the human heart, isn't there, to forget. We lose sight of the reality. Ralph Emerson, an author from couple of hundred years ago, he said this, if the stars came out only once a year or once a lifetime, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. We've seen the stars so often, we don't even bother to look at them anymore. We've grown so accustomed to our blessings. And the problem is the moment we forget, we move from this place of enjoyment and expectancy to expectation, take it for granted, and then from expectation to entitlement. Had this moment with my kids. This is going back some years ago when one of my particular girls was about five or six years of age. And I've always tried, for good or bad, 
to be the fun parent. Anyone else admit that my wife holds us all together, but that was my mission in life? So the kids know exactly who to come to if they're trying to get something that they desire. But I used to go on trips. We live a little bit out of town with uh, one of my girls in particular. She'd love coming along and I'd appreciate her company. So I'd buy her a little something to say, thanks for coming along. And she'd love it. She'd receive this treat with great joy and great thankfulness. Thank you so much. And then we kind of moved from that place. And it wasn't long before I realized she was kind of beginning to expect these things wasn't just a blessing, it was a part of the reality. And there was this one particular trip, I thought, well, I won't get her something this time. Um, I'll just head home. And so we turned the car, and she knew we were heading home, and she looked at me like something was wrong. I said, sweetheart, are you okay? And she's like, Dad, Dad, you've forgotten the rule. The rule is that you must always get me something when I come with you. That's exactly her word. And I thought, isn't that interesting, the rule? I don't remember signing that contract. I remember agreeing to this particular rule, but the, the rule had formed in her mind that she was entitled. How often are we like that? We move from this place to Christian life. It's a life of wonder, of expectancy. And so quickly we move from expectancy to expectation. We take it for granted. And then before we know it, we live in this place of entitlement. I, I, I really, I deserve this. This is just the way that it works. God should just be doing and nothing robs our joy and our life more than that. So gratitude remembers. Gratitude reassures or re-centers us upon the reality of who he is. Now the good news is gratitude and thankfulness is not just for the good moments in life. In fact, one of my favorite passages about thankfulness is Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. And Paul, who's writing from this Philippian jail, said, he says, the Lord is at hand. I mean, we could pause there for many a sermon. God is with me. He's here. He's at hand. Therefore, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here it is, with thanksgiving, saying in the midst of anxiety, Pray, give thanks, let your requests be made known to to the Lord, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here he is writing in a moment of anxiety, and he's saying, I've recognized this, either anxiety and fear or peace is going to rule my heart. And here is the key, certainly to pray, to make known my requests to the Lord who hears and cares. But not just to pray, but to begin to thank Him. How often do our prayers, particularly in those dark moments in life, move from that place of prayer to thanksgiving? Not just bringing our requests, but reminding ourselves of who He is. Lord, I need this, but I thank You that You are my faithful provider, that nothing is too hard. Lord, I'm in need in this circumstance. I'm struggling, but you are my peace. I'm, I'm weak, but I thank you, Lord, that you are my strength. See, there's a place in prayer for thanksgiving that is so key because it reassures and recenters us, not just upon our lack, but our provision in and through him. 
it remembers, it reassures, and finally, it releases. I love that, uh, that picture that I've mentioned before of Paul and Silas. They choose to pray and give thanksgiving, even in the midst, even in the midst. And it's that very thing that releases the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, nothing constricts the purposes of God quicker than grumbling, and nothing releases us into His purposes and promise quicker than being grateful. Just try this for a week, even a couple of days. As an experiment, you can take this home and put it into action. Try for a couple of days to be as grumbly as possible. I could say that some of us won't have to try hard, but I won't say that. Move on. Just be, be really grumbly, not only at yourself, but get in touch with that, that inner frustration and just let it all out. Grumble against the Lord, grumble against people around you. Keep a journal of grumbling and see how you feel after a few days of making grumbling your goal. See how other people around you feel. And then con contrast that with a couple of days spent intentionally investing in gratitude. Being thankful every day. Thankful to the Lord for His provisions. Thankful for the good things in your life. Be thankful for the people around you. Remind them of how much you appreciate them. And then see what kind of an impact that makes. Just over a 48-hour period, I challenge you to put that in to practice. And let me know how you go. I might get the worship team back up here as we finish, if they can try and rearrange the stage enough to be able to finish us off with a song. There's an 18th century classic written by William Law, Serious Call to a Devout and a Holy Life. Think about this. He makes this statement. He says, who is the greatest saint in the world? Who is the greatest saint in the world? This is his suggestion. He says this, it is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives away most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity or justice. But it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. You could not do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit, he says, for it turns all that it touches into happiness. Think that through. What if the measure of greatness in the kingdom was measured by our gratitude? How grateful a people are we? Would you like to stand? going to pray for us. We're going to finish with a song. But just as we do, why don't you just turn your attention to the Lord? It's a challenge this morning. How often do we truly stop to see and to survey and to be thankful? As we said, that's the heart of the Christmas story is that we should be these people who are constantly overwhelmed by his great gift and overflowing with gratefulness. The more we look into it, the more we find overflowing thankfulness for the greatness of His love.
It's the heart of the gospel. And it's one of the keys of the Christian life is to live with these pillars of gift and of gratefulness. So, Father, I I thank you this morning. Thank you for a moment today to celebrate who you are and what you've done in our midst. And I pray that this wouldn't be a, a passing moment, but I ask this morning that you would do a work in our hearts that we might become a grateful people. Whether it is this morning that for some of us, Lord, we need a moment of remembering. Or a moment just to to look back and to remember your faithfulness to us in season and out, out of season. Whether our attention, our perspective has been shifted and moved from the greatness and the glory, taking for granted perhaps who you are, and has been directed and diverted elsewhere. Would you remind us afresh to forget not your benefits? Maybe this morning, for some of us, Lord, it's a a moment of reassurance, of reflecting upon that reality of who you are and what we have in you, not what we don't. Of all the things that we see and know you to be doing, not the many that we believe perhaps that you should be doing. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that there would be a call in the midst of our thankfulness to be this kind of grateful people that releases us into the fullness of your promise for us personally and for us as a people. And that's certainly our intention this morning. It's just to stop. It's to remember. It's to look in. It's to see. It's to savor. And it's to celebrate afresh your great goodness to us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name.